0: Hi, this is Hillary from the Good Energy Healing Show. This is my podcast about sharing experiences um, that I learned from my practice uh, with energy medicine, Um, some ideas and inspirations I get through my practice, and observations I get from living through the lens of being an energy worker for 20 years. Um, So welcome to the Good Energy Healing Show. I've decided to take a deeper dive into scarcity because it was just rumbling um, through my veins since I did the first, uh, scarcity podcast. And I had a really funny thing that happened yesterday. So I decided to start with a lot of trepidation. I had, I don't know if you'd call it like, I don't know what you'd call the writer's block version podcast, podcast block. I, I knew I wanted to do this next podcast, but I was waiting for balance and, um, inspiration. just a little extra, like, uh, you know, blocks to to move aside. And then I realized that the idea of scarcity is the block and it lives in me. And I need to do it anyway. So I said, I got to get back, I got to get back in here and do this, this next piece about scarcity. This needs to be my next podcast. I know we all have that. We talk about an inbox, but we don't always talk about the order of the inbox. And sometimes you get it. Take care of that piece of paper at the very top of your inbox. As much as there's other things underneath there that um, demand your attention as well, there is sometimes an order to how we unfold. So I started this deeper dive into scarcity twice. And yesterday it was really funny because I was probably five minutes into the podcast and I got interrupted by like three urgent phone calls that you know, I figured I had to take. So I stopped the podcast, which is being recorded. And I went ahead and um, went on with my day because people needed me. (laughs) Like they needed me urgently within a couple of minutes. And so uh, friends were arriving earlier than expected and uh, family members were running later. So I had to, you know, all hands on deck for me. So anyway, hang on, I'm getting my water. If anyone listened to my podcast about drinking water, I'm walking my walk right now. (laughs) Okay. Sip of water. I'm back. So yeah, I started the scarcity podcast and um, the scarcity deeper dive podcast, this one, and I got interrupted. So now one of the things about working in energy healing is I think that at its best, it's the antithesis of uh, being in the addictive mind, which means the mind that kind of circulates on itself, responding to the world through a traumatic lens, through a suffering lens. So I woke up this morning with some great insight that it was really, really good that I started the podcast. It was really great that it got. about scarcity, a deeper dive. And it was great that I got interrupted because then the events, uh, a couple of events happened that really informed me to do a better job today. So here's what happened. Um, I have in my notes here that I had talked in the last podcast about the idea of wealth, abundance, um, sustenance, being in the shape of a pie. And having the value of a pie, which means that it's a solid form, it gets cut into pieces and eventually that circle, the shape of the pie, becomes depleted and there are no more pieces of pie left. And I I talked about imagining a dinner party and then imagine at the same dinner party where the pie is gone and somebody doesn't get enough pie or get any pie. But imagine that music is on, and that music is beautiful and fulfilling and fills us. Does anybody not get enough of the music? So I actually was kind of thinking that's a pretty good story, pretty good metaphor for how we want to look through the world. Do we want to see our abundance as a pie on a table, or do we want to see it as the um, music in the um, air, in the, in the sound waves that we can all share. Um, and then I thought, yeah, and what about water? <laughs> I was like, because I live on the coast, and if somebody's in the water, do I really think about that person being in the water, taking the water from me? And I was like, I'm going to try that out. I'm going to try that out for my, for my podcast. I have the notes right here for it. But that phone call that came in and interrupted me meant a family was coming to meet me at a neighborhood pool. And it's in my neighborhood, so I need to be there because I'm hosting. And hot, hot, hot weather here in New England. And it was uh, definitely something not only that I should do, it's something I wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, so I stopped the podcast and I knew I would come back to this moment, but I didn't know that I would come back to this moment with so much more for the podcast. So I walk into the neighborhood pool, which usually has an average of like three or four people in it and grant it was hot. So maybe double that, triple that. And you could say, all right, that's a hot day in the summer um i walked into the pool and there was an adult cocktail kind of imagine like a new year's eve party in new york city in like a apartment scene i'm thinking kind of harry met sally moment you know where you squeeze through the crowd to get there um Kind of imagine uh, that movie, Harry Met Sally's uh, New Year's Eve scene, where you're squeezing through the crowd in an apartment. But imagine that the walls are the the edges of the the swimming pool, and everybody has a cocktail, and the pool is packed. And people are standing in the water like people would normally stand in a room, and they've taken up all the water. Um, I was like... Definitely having some moments of scarcity right there. I was like, where is my water? Where is my space? What is everyone doing here? The swimming pool became my proverbial pie. Within minutes of me putting down the scarcity podcast. And the only reason I say that is because, first of all, I've got to look at the water metaphor as maybe not the most perfect Antithesis of the pie because water is a resource, and we think about it on a global level that we need to take care of our water and we can't just all use up our water. And uh, then the beautiful story given to me by the uh, interruption, which turned into a crowded pool scene. And then the third piece is that I had to look at myself right there, right on the cusp of doing another scarcity podcast within minutes. In my neighborhood, I was having all the scarcity effects. I was annoyed. I was wishing everyone would go away. I was maybe not feeling, like, too much pity, but there was a little bit of pity going on. Like, where's my empty water space? Um, I, uh, I had to really look at... Um, And I didn't get it, just to be fair. I didn't really get it until after I left and I was driving home. I'm like, oh, wow. There's my moment of scarcity. Because what was also going on in the pool was joy and people were enjoying each other. And there was enough room for me. It just wasn't as much room as I was used to. Poor me. A little bit of pity there. Um, The opposite of that would have been me being grateful and thankful. And ultimately I was, Um, I try to practice gratitude. I was grateful even in the moment, but I noticed that I had the ability to um, get really, you know, put my tail between my legs and feel all sad and wounded by something that was nothing but somebody else wanting to share in the joy of the water. A lot more people. In fact, there was a party going on. Okay. It was somebody's birthday party, an adult birthday party in the pool. It worked out. It was funny. And now it's even better because it was the universe kind of giving me a lesson. And I want to talk about that. I've always, um, as an energy worker, I i am kind of like I work at the, you know, I, I work in this business. So I hear terms like, oh, the universe told me I'm supposed to call her back or the universe told me, and I've always sort of after, you know, the first five years, I'm like, oh, did the universe really tell you? I mean, is that really language we want to use? Is that the, like, is that really? um But I, uh it's just because I think it can be really cliche to say the universe told me. I'm like, are, are we skipping over um, meditation? Are we skipping over prayer? Are we really listening to the universe? Are we making decisions and blaming it on the universe because the universe told you? That's kind of in the new agey. Uh, language of things um, but I woke up this morning uh, realizing that uh, one of the things in terms of the mind and the addicted mind is the way we operate through this world uh, when you have to break an addiction one of the primary steps of breaking addiction is admitting that there's a power greater than yourself self greater than yourself hear that and that seems obvious in fact the self says oh i know there's a power greater than myself i just um i'll think about that tomorrow and the truth is is that um the power greater than yourself is pretty much everything um we we operate uh, as living beings on the earth not acknowledging that the earth is a living being because we don't have the same anatomy as the earth although we are an extension of the anatomy of the earth and yet for the most part I don't think we are in communication with the idea that our planet is a live living being I think even that may sound cliche um we don't talk about it like it's a living being. We The only way we even somewhat in the, you know, in the context of this culture, um, popular culture, talk about it is say we're hurting it, um, the earth. And, you know, sure. um, But like if somebody doesn't acknowledge my uh, existence, I, I don't want it to come out saying, well, watch out, we're hurting it or we're hurting this. And... Certainly, I want to be acknowledged that the um, higher part of that statement, the higher power means higher intelligence, a higher awareness, a high, higher being, um, and that we are not at the top of the uh, spiritual or intellectual food chain by long shot. However, um, I think part of the um, human condition, I can't speak for any other species. Um, but the human condition is that we um, tend to default to think that we're at the top of things. Okay, so where am I going with this? We've got oh, the universe. So the universe. Okay, so that's Earth. Now the universe. I'm thinking, well, boy, if the Earth has an intelligence and a and a and a sense of humor and an energy that flows, and communicates and supports and heals on all levels, be so much deeper than the subconscious. Well, what do we think the collection of the universe that we also inhabit? Like this is part of where we live, the universe, and the flow of um, how 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 our our energy is flowing through this universe, and how we interconnect. There's an intelligence to that as well. Um, again, higher power. Okay, so it's a possibility. Because, you know, real intelligence is marked by humor, like a sense of humor. Um, Esther Hicks talks about, through her work with Abraham, talks about coincidences being coinciding incidences. I may have already talked about that before. So the event of me having to turn off the podcast, start over, go into a pool, having the pool um, bring up all of my scarcity issues um, is a little bit funny. I think, I think, I think it was like really funny and I really appreciated it because it got my attention. But then I had a, uh, a great day and everything calmed down and the, and the party on, you know, the, the, the party in the pool quieted down and I was able to get a nice little, um, swim in and just amazing, just amazing. So grateful. Um, and then I decided to get into bed and start reading this new book I picked up because I have two teenagers right now, so why wouldn't I pick up the book by Andy Cope called, why wouldn't you buy this? Look at the title. The Teenager's Guide to Life, the Universe, and Being Awesome, Andy Cope, with uh, Jason Todd, Andy Whitaker, and Daryl Woodman, okay? like I was reading this book and immediately went and sent a copy of the book to uh, one of my sons who was at camp this week. Um really really loved it. Great book. Um and I was on page 11, okay, universe. That's funny. Page 11, and I thought I would read the book because, you know, if I'm going to ask my children, my teenagers to read a book about um life, universe and being awesome, why shouldn't I read it? Okay, so I got all the way to page 11 and they were talking about uh he's doing a great job. He's explaining to us that for 14 billion years The earth has been around and for about 200,000 of those years, um, humans have been around. So 14 billion to 200,000. And this is where I wish I could compare kind of like a a speck of dust to a tennis ball or something. I I'll have to do the math, but somebody out there do the math for me. 14 billion years versus 200,000 years, but he doesn't leave it at that. He breaks it down for the, um, He breaks it down for the um, teenagers, he says, and for 199,000 of those years of our homo sapien years, speaking of uh, species, um, humanity has inched along. They didn't have school, he writes, Netflix, YouTube, or they didn't have America. I think it's funny he says America because I think he's writing from Great Britain. Um, They definitely didn't have Wi-Fi or iPads. Otherwise, They would have been able to Google, quote, is the world actually flat and chuckle at their foolishness. All right. That's pretty cool, right? I'm I'm thinking about the earth and some uh, perspective we need on 14 billion years versus 200,000 years versus our um, moving forward. And he's even giving us 10,000 years of moving at a slightly quicker pace. And get ready for the next paragraph. He writes forever in parentheses and ever and ever and ever humans have died from scarcity, not enough food, clean water, sanitation, medication, warmth, safety, and then wham, you were born and it all kicked off. So that that's Andy Cope talking to his readers who are teenage readers, uh, letting them know that they're from a generation, um, where, um, the scarcity itself has shaped uh, our brains, our bodies, our biology, our way of thinking. And we have to do it differently. They have to do it differently. And as parents, we have to do it differently because we're just, he he goes on in the next page to talk about, um, okay, let me grab the book to say what he talks about. He goes on, I said it was page 11, so it's page 12. He says, um, <laughs> Here you are. Congratulations, the first generation in human history to be dying from too much! Exclamation point. A bizarre twist of evolution. Obesity is killing more people than starvation. Okay, so um, scarcity. There we go. Lined up for a beautiful um, universe. Uh, message telling me that this is an important topic and it's time to dive deeper into it. And I had one reason before the pool incident and this book by Andy Cope's incident, I had one reason to dive deeper. And it's a story about a client that I saw who works in finance and she is um, surrounded by thoughts of scarcity, ironically or not, because she works in finance. And um, she was really um, feeling like she was running out of time running out of resources, running out of money. She enjoys her job, but she still feels like she's running out of money while she's managing other people's finances. Um, Pretty much um, when we were working together, um, there was a health issue as well that we were concerned about. Um, And what came up surprisingly for me at the time, it was surprising is that um, she's working in this model of scarcity Believing that there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough. So what that's doing is it's creating sort of a perpetual emergency. Here we are. Of course it is. Because for the 200,000 years that we've been here, this is what takes us. Is when there's not enough. Right? So, um, but we've got to change the way we think because... The not enough, the scarcity is the basis of the wars. The wars inside of our bodies, inside of our cells, inside of our minds, inside of our friendships, our relationships, our families, our regions, our countries. Um, the idea that there's not enough, and we need to take whatever we think there's not enough, we need to take that from somebody else. Otherwise, we will die. So we had a beautiful session and um I spoke about the empowerment of not uh, being beholden to scarcity, and that it's a it's it's you know the first cousin of suffering, and the belief in suffering and a belief in scarcity no longer serves us, and we have to think more about abundance and about sharing and caring and caring for ourselves. But I didn't feel like my client was exactly getting it. Um, I didn't feel, not that she needs to get it for me, but I actually didn't feel like she felt better. I didn't feel like she was shifting. Um, And so I meditated for a moment on it. And this is what I want to share in the podcast. I said, I'm going to say something to you that I think will be enough to change you because on a moral level, we do have moral compasses. And on a moral level, sometimes it's hard to change for ourselves. We find that too indulgent. We're too too delved into suffering. But on a moral level, many, many of us change. Many, many of us become heroes when we think for a moment that if we don't change, we would be hurting other people. If we don't stand up to an injury or a wound that happened to us, even if it's already happened and it's already healed, if we don't stand up for the next person um then, then then that that's unacceptable so that's where we really get our courage that's where we really get our courage from so i said i think this might give you the courage to change again addiction language right there addiction recovery language this will give you courage to change i said if you walk around this world with this belief in scarcity belief like a religious belief mm-hmm. you talk about scarcity and when you talk about scarcity with certain people, they bristle. They 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 say they, they give you a frown as if you're if you're as if you're talking about something that's not real. They get deeply, deeply skeptical. Understanding the skepticism, I embrace skepticism, but I also see it as an indicator that say, wait a minute, what is going on here? And hold on. What is going on with my dog? Interrupting me. Everything okay? Come here. Come here can you come here? Okay, a little background music from the dog. I hope you appreciate that. Um, and, um, it could, it could get worse because she starts to bark when an animal walks by. And if the animal is walking closer, the noise will get louder. And if the animal is walking away, it will dissipate. Um, Okay. So the universe has a big old sense of humor with me right now. I haven't had a dog interruption since I think my first podcast, and I think this might be my 10th or 11th podcast. Well, that's not true. My first podcast were interviews, but my first solo podcast, she got into a fight with the cat. I don't know if you want to go back and listen to that. It was, it was pretty, it was a, uh, it wasn't funny for me, but I hope it was funny for you. Um, all right. So, but what I was talking about was the moral compass and then the dog start started barking. And so, you know, just imagine that, you know, the beasts are arriving and we're going to hear about this one. This is a big one. So I said to my client, I said, if you do not get to the root of scarcity, then you spread scarcity and scarcity of thinking when spread will give you permission to be a bully. It will give you permission to do harm to others. Scarcity of thinking, if you believe in scarcity, then you have every reason, especially on the 200,000 years of experience that we have on this planet, to take what you need to take from another person, to withhold what you think you're supposed to withhold from another person, because it's a matter of survival. So we're in that deep, deep survival brain. Which does very little negotiating, which does very little analyzing, and sometimes does very little loving. So that's not where she is. She doesn't need to, to, to believe in scarcity in, in order to survive. And I think this is where many of us need to take a moment and take an inventory and know that I'm not just talking about a client. I'm even talking about myself right now. Ooh, all of a sudden, we get this idea that there's not enough to go around. Well then, I can't pay you that much. I can't I can't give you that much. I can't share this with you. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I can't do that. And in fact, I have a whole entire system and institution behind me, whether it's my government or my boss. Um, The the business I work for, the taxes I pay, I have all sorts of institutions around me rewarding me for following the rules of scarcity. But that's not what this podcast is about. I just had to fill out a survey and I explained that, you know, it said, what is your podcast about? And I said, uh, energy healing and energy lifestyle or lifestyle, just positive lifestyle. Um, That's the takeaway from my podcast is that every single person I work on in the, in, with the energy, they always have a message from their body that is uplifting. It's gentler than I could imagine. It's clearer and cleaner than the muckety-muck of what goes on in my own mind. And that's why every time I go to work, I just clean the slate and allow the intelligent piece of our body um, communicate. And I think we all have that. I know we all have that. I've never met somebody who didn't have like a pure, beautiful, clear place where where communication flows. Sometimes it gets interrupted if I work with somebody who is on um, heavy drugs. Um, but sometimes those heavy drugs are anesthesia, you know, it's because I'm helping somebody uh, prepare for surgery. And then, you know, I kind of correcting that. It, it actually does work out nicely because... Deep, we just have to. We just have to um, go a little bit deeper, a little deeper down. So um, here we have the story, and and the client responded, and her eyes kind of opened up a little bit more. And I said, "You will find yourself, if you believe in scarcity, making decisions that are not morally attuned, and then that's going to have a slippery slope for you, because then you're going to be less satisfied for yourself." Uh, with yourself, you're going to feel less, um, fulfilled at the end of your day. You're going to feel more isolated, um, edging out, um, happiness, wholeheartedness. Um, yes. So if you cannot break this idea of believing that all is well and that there is plenty and that everything, um, is more like the music, not the pie, there's enough to go around. If you're not ready to change that belief system for yourself, do it for the others around you because you might find yourself in your belief of scarcity using scarcity as an as a um, opportunity or excuse to say that you have to. You have to abuse others. You have to take from others. And ultimately, I said it comes back around because when you don't live in scarcity, you won't allow it to be done to you by others. Okay? So anyway, I hope everyone got that that point. Um, I had a lot of fun, uh, thinking about scarcity and I want you to think about how we really want to, um, remember that the word scarcity has the word, um, scared in it. Scare. I love, um, thinking about words. Um, John Miguel Ruiz writes about words in his four agreements. A little bit of water there. Thank you. And he said, um, Be impeccable with your words. And that is one uh, agreement that I, first of all, the word impeccable is a tricky word. And yet he put that into his English um, translation, be impeccable with your words. And as the years go on, I was introduced to this four agreements, I don't know, 15 years ago, at least. Um, I don't have the book in front of me, but recently, and I talk about this a lot, words, have become so interesting to me. How a language, how a culture chooses its words and how we use the words and how we misuse the words and how the idea of scarcity is embedded in our language. So I was with another client the other day and um, minding my own business, doing the energy work. I was over her heart area. And her body basically talked to me um, in the same way my dog and I are talking to each other right now without any communication verbally or whatsoever. Um, But we're aware of each other in the room very much so. And um, that's how our energy bodies talk. Um, That's why if anyone's ever had a pet and they've lost a pet, The depth of loss is so profound because you don't realize that on an energy level, we've been communicating love and humor um, and um, support for each other without any language. Um, I could say that also for humans that we work with and um, who, for one reason or another, cannot verbally communicate. And that bond, I'd say, arguably um, is, is stronger for that. Uh, because we communicate on a different level. So uh, a, on a micro level in my sessions, I feel like, of course, I commu- can communicate with the other human being in the room that I'm working with. Um, but then there's this other language that comes through, this other message that comes through. And I've been doing it for a long time. So I, I'm pretty fluent. I'm a pretty fluent translator at this point. And so the message came through and said, you need to stop using the word deadline. It was very specific. And she said, I use deadline in almost every single thing I do because uh, she has a job that's very deadline oriented and she's a manager of people and she uses the word deadline. Perfectly good uh, word in the business world. We all know what it means. It means the a, due, a date that something is due. Um, but the word deadline um, resonated through her body in a way that wasn't helpful. So I went to my handy dandy etymology dictionary and I stopped the session for about a minute and I looked up deadline and I looked up the etymology of it and boy oh boy, wow. So deadline was created by a general in the Civil War and this general would take um, the enemy soldiers captive and put them in a prison. And during the day, make them stand out in the prison yard. And he coined the term deadline because he'd make them stand in a group, in a circle, as prisoners. And he would tell his soldiers that if one of the prisoners stepped over the deadline to shoot immediately, the deadline is the cue to shoot. If you step over the deadline, out of the group, shoot Kill. In the dictionary, the etymology dictionary, the dictionary of the root of words, Civil War, United States of America, 1800s. Wow. Okay. It gets worse. Same general. Thought it would be fun. So we're dealing with a deeply psychotic person. Um, Who would tell his soldiers, so we're dealing deep, deep into cult thinking because the soldiers would do this upon order. To not put the line there. Now it's an invisible line. Now the deadline is an invisible line, not drawn on the ground anymore. And the only way you know you've crossed the deadline is because a bullet is in you because you got shot. So everybody had to guess where the deadline was. What a panic. What a frenzy. Soldiers who've been taken off out of the war into a prison, and now they are just targets for killing. All because of a word deadline. How on earth did that become a word in our business institutions? An English word. How was that just not associated with the, with the obvious, uh, language in it, which is dead with violence. And so here we have this, um, not so subtle violence built into our language when, uh, notice every time you say the word deadline. And I say that because that is the ultimate example of scarcity that you just have to hold on for dear life or else you'll be shot. You'll be killed. Um, But that's not why I mentioned um, the etymology today and being impeccable with your words. I I mentioned it because I have another word that I looked up because I thought about if you live with um, scarcity, you live in a state of misery. I've seen and I know people close to me who aren't able to uh, feel joy because they calculate everything Um, Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones is actually known to be a a great perpetrator of what's called financial abuse. And I'm sure behind financial abuse, there's some kind of a psychological um, state, uh, probably a traumatized state. Um, But everything um, is about withholding money. It's about calculating if you're going to run out of money. And it's a deep belief in scarcity. And it often looks like a real reverence for money. Hmm. See that? I bet you can think of people who are like that. I can, I bet you can think about aspects of yourself like I can, um, that have a reverence for, um, making sure that we don't run out, that we have enough, that we have enough, that we have enough, more than enough. Um, hold on to all of it, don't share. Okay, scarcity. So I was speaking about that and I realized that, um, people who, um, are like that, they, I, I don't really, you know, love spending time with them because they're kind of miserable. Um, you, you, say you want to do something and they calculate, you know, well, what are the limitations and how can we not afford that? Or, you know, it's not a lot of creativity around, um, scarcity thinking. And so I thought miserable. Yeah, miserable. So I was like, you know, what? I like the word that that's an interesting word. Miserable. Um, I want to look that word up. So I looked up the word miserable. And of course, not of course at the moment, but I think you've already guessed that the base of the word miserable is miser. And we all know what a miser is. A miser um, is the character from um, A Christmas Carol, if you're familiar with that uh, story. Um, It's A Wonderful Life, George Bailey. So miser is Scrooge and George Bailey wanting to jump off because just thinking that there's, there's a limitations, there's not a, things aren't working out my way. You know, um, Scrooge is like, things are working out my way as long as I get my way and I don't share in, in any joy. So, so even though he's a, a miser with money, more importantly, he's a miser um, with joy and he's therefore the embodiment, the archetype of miserable. So in the uh, dictionary, it says miser is a condition of great sorrow and mental distress. To be a miser is a condition of great sorrow and mental distress. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, you live with great sorrow and mental distress. It is going to eventually affect your body. Um, And mental distress itself is arguably worse than any wound you can have or any disease you can have in your body. Um, And so... Time to turn this around and stop being scared and get away from scarcity and stop being a miser and get away from misery and start believing that you're not the top of the proverbial food chain and start looking for signs today of of beauty and sharing and caring about other people and trusting that... It's going to be okay if someone else is throwing a birthday party in the pool. You can share. You can actually share in the joy. There might be hidden messages in the sharing. And really raise yourself up out of scarcity. Today, if you're a boss, if you're a business owner, if you're a CEO, if you're unemployed, if you're homeless, ask yourself how scarcity thinking has played a role in your life and how you may be doing harm to other people. And that is the deeper dive, how your belief in scarcity gives you permission to do harm to other people. Don't do it anymore. Not if it's hurting yourself and not if it's hurting other people, not if it's hurting this environment, not if it's hurting your ability to enjoy your, your life here. And going back to Andy Cope and this great little book that I'm reading, um, about being awesome being an awesome teenager and we all have if we're adults we all I'll have the teenager in us because we got through the teenage years if we made it to adulthood and um Mm -hmm. Madeline uh, Lungo I'm pronouncing her name from a wrinkle in time I hope I'm pronouncing it right um I just had a mental block on it I love her quote. She says, we're not just the age we are, we're every age we've ever been. So maybe all of us need to read books about how to be an awesome teenager because I needed this book when I was a not awesome teenager. Um, Anyway, um, he lets the awesome teenagers know that you have, lifespan-wise, you have about 4,000 weeks to live. 4,000 weeks is the average lifespan. It doesn't go on forever and ever. But we're not unlimited in what we can do to make this aspect of being human, this aspect of being in our physical bodies, the 4,000 weeks on average that we hope to get, (sighs) go enjoy them and be rid of scarcity thinking and be rid of miserableness. And don't impose it on any other person. Don't tell somebody I'm running out of time with you. I don't have enough money for you. Find a different way to talk about it. Find a different way to share this beautiful 4,000 weeks we have together. And um, I hope you have a beautiful day thinking about all of this. This is the Good Energy Healing Show. I'm about to bounce forward into my day and be reflecting on all that we talked about today. And thank you for for listening. And um, here I am getting ready to sign off. And my computer already signed off for me. Oh, 41 minutes felt like I went for a long time. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. But as we know, in this world of scarcity thinking and releasing it, um, there's more than enough time. There's more than enough music. And there's more than enough joy to go around. So you have a beautiful day, and we'll catch you the next time.